the last probably two or three weeks, I've noticed a lot of individuals reaching out to say, okay, this pandemic kicked me on my butt. And I realized I didn't have as much of a handle on my business as I thought I did. So now they're looking for ways to make sure that what, whatever external factors we hope. Welcome to the podcast today, Rachel. I'm really excited that you're here with us. Do you want to just give me a brief background of how you got involved in your work and then what you do now? Sure. So I have a non-traditional pathway to business coaching. I was an executive of a nonprofit for a good chunk of my career, and I was also a clinical therapist. And we needed to turn that organization around, and I hired an EOS implementer. So once we started working with the EOS implementer, what I noticed was I had a lot of skill set that really helped us in that leadership team. So it was just one of those things that it untapped some potential in me. And I started to see myself outside of the box I had put myself in. And so long story short, a few years later, I decided to pursue EOS after I had implemented it and then was the integrator in my organization for a little over five years. Cool. That's really interesting. So what were some of those like pain points initially that you were feeling when you did implement it into your nonprofit organization? So the pain points was really getting the buy-in for my entire leadership team. So having, you're implementing anything new, especially with the organization that's been through a significant amount of change already. We had a lot of turnover in leadership. Bringing on anything else, there was a lot of skepticism. And I had to work extra hard to get the buy-in from my leadership team. And then you also had us talking a lot about raising the bar. And that was a scary thought for individuals that we weren't, we didn't really know what that meant. So all of a sudden there was like a job security along with that. So we had to really define what that meant. And in most cases, raising the bar meant increasing our accountability. And in most of the time, that's what everyone was looking for. The frustration and the lack of morale around the team came from inconsistent accountability. So it just took a lot of time. It took a lot of consistency on my part to make sure that I was sticking with it. And that was tough because like I said, I had a lot of leaders around me that I respect and, and they were not on board to begin with. So I had to be really strong in my conviction with that. Yeah, absolutely. So how does that translate now with the teams that you're working with within organizations? What are some of those things that you can take away and then apply them to the the organizations that you work with after? I think my biggest strength in working with them is I can almost feel exactly that apprehension. So from that very beginning step, when I'm just initially meeting with clients in the leadership team, I can feel the skepticism, I can feel the apprehension, the anxiety, and I really come from just that relatable source. Like I've been there, I've been in your seats. And so sometimes when you're um, really calling that out and acknowledging that you're changing the way that you're going to run your business, that is 
that's not something you take lightly. I yeah. understand there's, you know, a lot of anxiety in the room. And there's probably a lot of people that think I'm full of crap right now. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> you know, just like calling some of it out because I had those frank conversations before. Yeah. And, and I think that helps some of my clients because when I'm giving examples, I'm not just giving examples about this perfect entrepreneur that I worked with. I'm giving yeah. examples from myself and the mistakes that I made when I was implementing EOS, or I'm making sure that they understand I was a leader of an organization that was not doing well. We're not perfect. We all need a little bit of help. So I think that makes it a little bit more relatable. Yeah, absolutely. I could totally see that being more relatable. And then people build your their trust in you and um, realize that you've been there before and have walked the mud, so to speak. Absolutely. So what are some of those things that obviously we've talked about the pains? What are some of those things that really get people like this is actually working? We're excited about this now and we really want to continue to pursue EOS. I think right off the bat, the way that people structure their meetings, for example. So we use something called level 10 meetings and it's a very specific agenda. It helps drive the accountability. It helps keep that vision at the forefront. And the reason why I think that's the best thing, because it really helps you get traction right off the ground. And a lot of organizations and companies, they go through a really long strategic planning process. And then you have a four, five, six page strategic plan that's sitting on somebody's desk. But how do you actually implement that? What does your day-to-day -day look like so that everyone is driving that vision and there's accountability? Yeah. So that level 10 meeting agenda and another frustration for teams that I hear in one of my lines is, do you ever feel like you're meeting for the sake of meeting and then you're having another meeting for the sake of meeting and then, and that happens a lot or just any you, and then you end up talking about the same issue. There's lack of resolution. Nobody's, you know, taking that plan of attack. And there's such a frustration with employees because they feel like they spend most of their working time jumping from meeting to meeting and rarely are they solving and getting any traction moving through the weeks. So that level 10 meeting and really showing how all of these moving pieces come together and how you can productively and efficiently spend the time with your team so that you're not constantly putting out fires throughout the yeah. week. And it yeah. saves a lot of time through the week. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard one thing of people, entrepreneurs said, I'd rather not necessarily work on my business, like work in my business, but work on my business. And I think yeah. that you're stating that pretty well of working on the business and having it grow versus fighting every fire every day of <laughs> trying to just stay yeah. afloat for yeah. sure. And it's yeah. hard to pull people out because once you're in the weeds and you're in that thick, tall grass for so long, it's really hard to pull people out and get them to the first session that when I work with the leadership teams is what we call focus day. And that's one of the first things that I have to really get their head around is I want you to almost look at this organization as if you're the board of directors. So you have mm -hmm. to pull yourself out. You have to get yourself above the organization. Forget about the emails, forget about the voicemails, forget about all those things that yeah. you were bombarded with this morning. 
And that's a, that's a discipline in and of itself because mm-hmm. you know, for a decade or more, sometimes these you know, entrepreneurs are playing the role of admin assistant, <laughs> CEO, of operations manager, of sales and marketing. They're really playing every single role and some of them have a hard time letting go. And so it's just really trying to frame that a bit to get them out of, of that thick, tall grass. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important, especially when you start up EOS and get the, the ball moving. What are some of those things that people struggle with off the bat when they're doing EOS, whether it's those first initial meetings or not necessarily grabbing hold of the reins, but just getting started? What are some of those things that people might feel initially? I would say majority of the issues are going to be people issues. So mm-hmm. even from the very beginning, it's going to be hard for them to th- sometimes think who needs to be in the meeting. So if there's some organizations mm-hmm. that may not have this formal structure, they may be, have one or two people that they count as, but they don't necessarily count them as leadership team. So it's working with them to tell them like they don't have to have all of those answers nailed down before they start EOS. There's a yeah. reason why the process is what it is. And we work on day one, getting that accountability um, chart laid out. So they have the right structure of their organization before they get into the vision building. And that's very purposeful. So I think a lot of it is that people issue. So from the structure of who needs to be in these seats, who do I need to call as my leadership team? And they think they need to really hurry and make those decisions to this person isn't going to ever adhere to our core values or this person, there's no way they're going to do A, B, and C. Okay. That's a significant issue, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, and sometimes it's just having to, sometimes we say enter the danger zone with them and really push them to say, if you're allowing that person to dictate what they will and won't do in your organization, then that's your bar. And if you're okay with that being your standard, then EOS isn't going to work for you. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah, you have to be okay with raising that bar. And sometimes tough decisions come with raising that bar and raising that standard. Yeah, absolutely. And that's got to be one of the hardest things to just that hurdle initially of, (laughs) This is more than just an issue within one person. Absolutely. That's that's definitely hard for sure. For sure. What are you seeing? Oh, keep on going. No, I just say people issues are always difficult, right? They're not, they're always in the gray area. And in most cases, people don't want to deal with that. And that's the ones that we put band-aids over. And then all of a sudden, our organization is built on duct tape and twine and band-aids. And we need to really secure the foundation of that. Yeah, absolutely. What are you seeing right now, especially with this, like people going back to work and COVID-19 dictating what's happening in the workplace? What are you seeing right now? What are some of those trends? Actually, the last few weeks, so as you can imagine there for a while when quarantine was before things were starting to get lifted a bit here in Michigan, it was quite quiet. People were just um, trying to figure out how they were going to reopen, what it was going to look if they were able to reopen, and really internally getting some of those constraints in place and the guidelines and and all of that. The last probably two or three weeks, I've noticed a lot of individuals reaching out to say, okay, 
this pandemic kicked me on my butt. And I realized I didn't have as much of a handle on my business as I thought I did. So now they're looking for ways to make sure that what, whatever external factors, we hope to God, we never are in another pandemic again. Yeah. Uh, there's always a, an external, you know, factors, whether it's why I have a client that most of its customers GM, if they go on strike or mm-hmm. uh, a recession hits or anything. So there's a ton of external factors. And I'm hearing from quite a few newer people reaching out that they want to feel like they have a better handle on these situations that they normally don't have control over. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you finding that those people issues are popping back up again? Like what you talked about when they first started EOS? Yes. Yeah. People <laughs> issues, but kind of in a new way. So if accountability was the problem before, we have to look at how to still drive accountability with this flexible work schedule. It goes back to trust in your employees and making sure that you have the tools in place so that you don't have to micromanage, the accountability is built into the culture of your organization. And it alleviates so much pressure from your leaders that they don't have to spend so much time micromanaging because there are structures and tools in place that are automatically driving that. And and so that's what I try to help them see is that there's not these isolated instances. You have to look at the people issues from a broad perspective, because in in a lot of cases, if you're thinking accountability, I'm sure it's just not one person that's having an issue with accountability. Again, pulling them out of the weeds, seeing things from a broader perspective. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of those tools that you would recommend your clients to use to create that accountability in the workplace? One of the, well, there's two that are most important in my opinion, and one of them is what we call rocks, which is really setting your 90-day priorities for the organization. And not only does the company get 90-day rocks, so we say three to seven, so less is more, and then every individual gets three to seven priorities for that quarter. And the thing about that level 10 meeting that I had discussed before is that you're checking in on a weekly basis just to simply say if that rock is on track or off track. So again, it's driving in that accountability on a weekly basis. You're not waiting till the end of the quarter to say if something was done or not done or if it's been worked on. If it's not on track, then what's the issue? Do you need help with something? Is there something, a barrier? We're gonna come up with something as a team. So I would say really getting that, whatever your priorities are for that quarter and making sure you're checking in on that on a weekly basis. Again, that alleviates some of that pressure from the supervisor because you're as a team, you're meeting, you're all checking in on that. And a lot of people, it's hard for them to continue to come to meetings with their peers and be the one that can consistently is saying off track, right? The other tool is uh, what we call a scorecard. So one of the things we say is, you know, what won't be measured won't be done. So if you can't measure something, um, then most likely you're not saying that it's a priority. So getting the scorecard is simply saying what's a measurable, what's something in our organization that has to be measured 
who's responsible for that. So who, again, at that meeting is responsible for bringing those numbers. Now, there may be a team of people that are responsible for driving that number, but there's one person that's accountable for, for making sure that's happening. And, and then there's a goal in mind. So again, every week you're checking in on that and you're making sure you're on track with that and that the goal is being met. And if it's not being met, you're able to take a proactive stance on that instead of six or 10 months down the road, you realize that you're running at a deficit and now it's a year later and you had no idea. So those are ways that you're coming to that meeting. You're quickly checking in on numbers and on facts and figures and everyone has ownership in that so that there's that, that weekly accountability. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of those measurables that you are putting on that scorecard? A lot of times it's going to be related to some sort of revenue, some sort of cash flow. I've, you know, had clients that maybe they have a lot of machinery, so they're going to track repair costs because they want to make sure that's staying down. Some people are looking at overtime hours. So it really depends on the individual. Sometimes it's new customers how many new customers for this this specific department. Usually a lot of sales related goals as well. And that's also a way that when the leader starts to delegate and really starts to work on the business instead of in, they can still feel like they have a pulse of the business because they're looking at the most important things. Absolutely. And it's all going towards the bottom line too. It's not flimsy metric, so to speak. And you're coming up with the scorecard as a leadership team. Mm -hmm. So that you're figuring out as a leadership team, what are the most important? And one of the analogies we use is if you were, you know, stranded on a desert island and you only were able to make one phone call to get an idea of how your business was running, what are the five to 15 measurables that you would need to know to make sure that everything's running pretty much on track. So that's kind of like the, within the framework that we try to offer that to the leader so they can start thinking of really what's important to measure in this company. Absolutely. That's really cool. I like that concept of the one phone call thing. That's smart. Yeah. I know that you said that rocks are normally kept to three to seven. How many measurables should you um, be having on that scorecard? Anywhere between five and 15 is what we try to keep it. We say a lot less is more because everything's important. Nothing is being really focused on what you're measuring. Yeah. What are some of those initial hurdles that people have to get over when they're building out that scorecard? Yeah, the scorecard's a tough one. They have to, it's just, especially if they're not used to tracking numbers in that way. So just the, just getting comfortable with that. And then there's always tweaks with thinking that maybe this was the most important thing. And then once you start using it and once you start measuring things, then you realize, okay, maybe that wasn't what was important. So it takes about one to three months to really nail it down because you just have to start working with it. You have to start putting the numbers in, discussing as a leadership team, is this really what I was hoping for? So it just, it does take some time. Yeah. Do you find that most of your clients actually change their metrics after that one to three months of, oh, this is actually not a great measurable. We should be doing something else. Not so much after that one to three months. If anything, they may add one or two. Mm. Um, 
if, if their departments are expanding, sometimes product lines or things like that, if they're trying a new marketing thing and they want to look at the analytics of that, some kind of more specific project related things. But usually after that three month mark, they have things pretty solidified. And then at that time they have 12 weeks at a glance. So they're able to look at things proactively and see the trends and patterns so they can start making decisions better once, once they're able to see those trends and patterns. Yeah. I was just going to ask that. When do they start um, seeing those results right away? Or does it take a little bit longer than initially expected? Or The results from the scorecard, I think that the leaders start to see a lot. And I can speak for myself. I, When I started introducing the scorecard into my organization, I realized a lot of things that I should have realized years before. I think there's a lot of epiphanies that happen once you start tracking certain things, good or bad. And then all of a sudden your issues list (laughs) becomes so much um, larger. It's just that tends to to happen too. Yeah, absolutely. When you were a leader during your EOS time, what were some of those initial reactions that you had when you did implement that scorecard? It was just more of like, why are we tracking this? a sudden the why and luckily I always I I think one of the strengths that I had with my leadership team at the time was that anything that I implemented whether it was EOS or not it wasn't for no reason and so it was Mm -hmm. there was always I could explain and I could connect it back to you know, we're not going to get an increase of funding in this way. Here's an opportunity here. But if I can't show our need, then we're not going to be able to get here. So I, you know, able to articulate the pathway that to diversifying revenue streams, to increasing each department, because we're able to look at, ours was a little bit different. It's a YWCA So it's a large nonprofit, but looking at different grant opportunities, I had to be able to say, if I wanted to apply for this in two years, so it's always looking long-term, then what do I need to be tracking now? And that's not always something that my leaders had to worry about. So I had to juggle with giving them enough information that they understood what I was asking them. There was a reason and it made sense to them. And that they could, we could get some buy-in and they understood there's a bigger picture to this, but not bombarding them with so much grant and finance information that yeah. they thought they needed to retain that and it distracted them from what their duties were, you know, were. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a fine line between looking forward, but then also being in the present. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Rachel, if people want to work with you and find out a little bit more about you, where can they go for that? Yeah. So my website is rmjstrategies.com. And so you'll find out a little bit more about me in there and how to contact me. And that's the, the best way to reach me. Awesome. Sweet. Sounds good. Do you have any final parting words before we uh, head out for the day? I think... If, if anything, I would just encourage and, and 
to people for people to understand that we put ourselves in boxes a lot. I'm a really good example of that. I have a business partner that's a really good example of that. She was a lawyer, then small business owner, and I'm now working for a wealth management company. One of the messages I love to to tell individuals getting into entrepreneurship or when they're trying to navigate their career is just knowing that you can be that and that. So you don't, whether your degree was in this or you didn't get a degree, you don't have to put yourself into a box and you don't need a specific title to be considered a leader. And I think that that prevents individuals from showcasing some of their leadership skills because they think they haven't attained a certain thing. So, um, that's something I'm really passionate about. I've seen a lot of individuals that have amazing leadership skills and I've seen them put themselves down just because they haven't achieved this title or that title. Just an acknowledgement that, and, and even for the leader's sake, is really looking at your people and knowing that they may have come in as an entry-level employee at the time, but look for the potential because there's a lot of leadership skills and we box people in as well. Yeah, that would be my parting words. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us today. This is fun. Yeah, it was fun. Awesome. This podcast is proudly produced by Waypoint. What is Waypoint? Well, if you want to coach your team and not manage them, then Waypoint is worth checking out. Head over to waypointhq.com to learn more or email me directly, mike at waypointhq.com, and I'll demo it for you myself. Thanks for listening.